0: From Ringler, this is Ringler Radio, a podcast where we keep you current on the latest news from the settlement industry, updates on nationwide litigation, trends in the legal and insurance industries, and everything in between. Ringler has been helping injured people and their families since 1975. So when it comes to objective settlement solutions, the consultants at Ringler are your go-to experts. Welcome back to Ringler Radio, and happy holidays, everyone. I'm your host, Matt Ross. As we round out our calendar year, we invited back Peter Jackam, who's our vice chairman at Ringler, to again share his thoughts on what has transpired in the macroeconomy and how it has affected the settlement industry. We then shift our conversation to the topic of AI and the opportunities and potential drawbacks it could have within our industry. Let's listen in. Peter Jackham, welcome back to Ringler Radio. It's great to have you here again. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be back with you too. Fantastic. Well, let's take a walk down memory lane, shall we? So, we last spoke uh, on this program back in December of 2022 when we were looking ahead into 2023. And now we're almost into December of 2023. And I'd like to take a look back if we could. So, could you give us a quick recap? Of what's happened in the macroeconomy in the US and how it's impacted the settlement industry as a whole? Well, first, let's
1: talk about uh, how the industry's done and, and also how Wrangler's done. It's been a record year. This is, uh, we've even exceeded the 2019 pre COVID year. And going back to that period, we always looked at the structured settlement industry as being roughly a $6 billion industry. Uh, this year, it'll come out to be call it 8.6 for the industry as a whole, I think is our Mm -hmm. current expectation. And I think we can probably safely forecast an 8.5 level for the year going forward. So it's been a fantastic year and it's really been related to the level of interest rates and then the rates that the insurance companies have been able to credit to the structured settlement policies that have ultimately been uh, going out to the injured parties So with that, let's talk a little bit about what happened in the year and why the insurance companies have been able to increase their rates so steadily. Yeah. Um, At one point, you know, we talked about uh, the Fed's actions in increasing rates. And the Fed, of course, increases short term rates. And we've used uh, the term inverted yield curve going back to our last conversation. Mm -hmm. And the inverted yield curve basically means that in the short term, you're getting paid higher interest rates say, on a three-month obligation or a one-year obligation, then you are going out 10 years. And to give you an example, um, for some of this year, federal money market funds, which which essentially are very short, were paying something in the range of, call it 4.5, 4.7, and the 10-year treasury was below that at roughly Mm 4. So that just gives an indication of roughly how the yield curve works. Now, when insurance companies invest against the structured settlement, of course, they're investing in a portfolio of corporate bonds, and they try to buy those bonds as long as possible so that they have an asset that will cover their liability. So that 10-year interest rate becomes really important from the standpoint of how insurance companies invest and then how consequently they can credit the interest rate against the structured settlement.
0: Right. And when so, you say insurance, sorry to interrupt, but when you yeah. say insurance companies, I just want to make sure we're clear. We're talking about life insurance companies. We're talking about the life insurance yes.
1: companies that yes. provide the structured settlement annuity. Very good point. And uh, what, they, what they really do is look to their uh, portfolio yield, among other things, when they determine the rate and then their appetite for structured settlements.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But with the uh, 10-year treasury now at uh, 4.4%, and uh, corporate bonds with a risk premium above that. So, you know, in the in the range of, say, you know, five plus percent, mm-hmm. it's really uh, those kinds of bond yields and the ability that insurance companies have to add to the, their portfolios at those levels that, uh, you know, really give us the kind of really positive environment that we have right now.
0: Yeah, it's been and incredible. And I would expect that would continue in the next year. Yeah, it's been incredible to see how... Uh, these macroeconomic changes have affected our industry. It's kind of given structured settlements a credence again with a lot of our clients and these insurance companies, P and C insurance companies, to replace the benefits that they're looking to provide with some of the outstanding claims that they are they have on their books. Um, I'm curious because when we spoke last, you kind of gave us two paths of direction. You know, you, the, either the inflation persisting or the inflation being short term. Um, you and you've mentioned the you know the inflated yield curve. I'm wondering if, do you still f- foresee inflation persisting in even further than just the one to two year time frame you gave us last time, or do you think it's been stopped in its tracks based upon the Fed's action? I don't think it's
1: been stopped in its tracks. It's a lot better than when we spoke uh, last summer. You know, back then we were looking at annual inflation rates that were in double digits and mm-hmm. with oil prices that were really extremely high. Now we're down to levels that, you know, just averaging it out over the past few months, just say, you know, use the number, say, 4%. That's still higher than the Fed's target, but it's, uh, you know, nowhere near where we were uh, at the time that we did our last uh, podcast together. I think there are still uh, global inflationary pressures in the world economy, and there there are a few things that you can look to one of them is the supply of labor in the world is decreasing you know things mm-hmm. like the chinese population going down
0: mm-hmm. as
1: we move away from globalization individual late labor markets get uh, much more isolated uh you also have uh you know cost of certain products going up and with uh, no increase in supply to meet that things like um precious metals, rare earth metals that go into uh, electric vehicles, um, mm. you know, that will continue to provide inflationary factors as, you know, people move more to a zero based emission economy. And the other factor that is is really different is, um, you know, the world is kind of going onto to a wartime footing. And you see that in the United States with the increase in defense spending and how well some of the defense stocks are doing. You know, we have a war in Ukraine, we may have a two-front war in Israel, and there is unrest in uh, in other parts of Europe and the Middle East. Now, uh, before I get, you know, this isn't a geopolitical comment, but <laughs> usually when you get into that kind of situation, yeah. it does mean that governments are spending a lot more money and that we're going to continue to see more inflation. So my guess is uh, we're not going to have quite the crunch that maybe we're experiencing uh, going back to 2022. But those inflationary factors are still there, mm-hmm. and that's um, I think you know for our for our business and in terms of the level of interest rates, that's a that's a positive. Unfortunately, yeah. like other businesses in America, it's real negative.
0: It's almost inversely related to the general uh, economy as a whole. It's fascinating to kind of know that you know in these upper levels of volatility that's happening in the macroeconomic foothold and also in the geopolitical world that our industry stands to benefit potentially from that because of everything that's happening. Well,
1: I know just as an aside on a uh, veteran's day, I was at a, uh, a veteran's day, uh, dinner and there are some military people there. And there are a number of people there who were investors, either in private equity or real estate. And, you know, I've been going around rather jubilant with how our business is doing the past year. And some of their businesses really were not doing well, just because they, they financed through bank loans and mm. they, they borrowed to invest in real estate. And at the current level of uh, interest rates, those projects just don't work and they're getting hit really hard. So, you know, we're we're more than pleased with how structured settlements have been going, but there are two sides to that coin and it really has
0: hurt some other people severely. Well, I think on that two side of the coin argument, Peter, there's also another side of the coin in our industry Mm -hmm. of doing potentially too well. And that is hitting a capital limit in the ceiling with the life insurance companies that we've kind of run into towards the latter half of this year. Could you tell our audience about what that means and how it affects the settlement industry as a whole?
1: It's a really important point, And I'm glad you raised it because it's something that I think people associated with structured settlements don't really look to all that much. Most life insurance companies at the beginning of the year will set limits for different products, whether it's sort of traditional individual, whole life, term life, uh, individual annuity products, or structured settlements. And they will allocate a pool of capital to those specific products and they need to stay diversified. And then it really gives the structured settlements professionals what their available limits are in the course of the year. And then they'll also set the interest rates uh, and underwrite the individual policies. But those capital limits become, uh, really important. And that's how AMBEST looks at the individual life insurance company, individual life insurance companies. And, you know, I think we haven't really hit limits to growth yet. We have with some companies, but not with the industry as a whole. But I mean, it's foreseeable that if we continue to grow the industry substantially, and that's it's another important question, because I do think there's the potential for really massive growth long-term in structured settlements we need more participants. We need more capital allocation because it's really hard for uh, those companies to maintain their diversification limits and keep to their capital limitations uh, You know, if the industry is just soaring and there's more and more demand for their product. So, you know, another entrant or two, I think would be really helpful to the industry as a whole.
0: Absolutely. And for our audience, capital intensive business or just the word capital basically just means money. It's the money that's being put aside to run the business itself. And so if a company runs out of money that's been allocated for that particular business, business essentially stops. So it's. It, it, I just wanted to make that uh, additional. point. That's a
1: rather yeah. severe way of putting it, but I can't argue <laughs> the point.
0: <laughs> I think that's correct. Once they hit the limit to their capital allocation, they're they're done for the year. Yeah, exactly. So, but I don't, and like you said, I don't think the industry as a whole has a capital limitation because there's definitely companies out there that have an open a uh, blank check, frankly. Uh, they've made that very clear to us that like, nope, we don't have a capital limit. We're going. Let's let's rock and roll. So it's not an industry issue necessarily as a whole. It's more of a company by company issue. But I agree. I think we need we do need to have a couple more participants to jump in and to offer that diversification or additional capital lending ourselves to our industry to address growth. And that's kind of my next question to you, Peter. Is you know we've seen the inflational environment persist, and we've seen interest rates persist, and remain stable going forward. What type of growth can the industry see in 2024, given what we've kind of already talked about with inflationary pressures and also interest rate uh, uh, being raised to a level of higher operation opportunity? Well, you know, I think the
1: interest rates and the creditor rates on the policies make all the difference. And if we go back to, uh, you know, the time period when we had extremely low rates on structured settlements, and, you know, we're talking in some cases, I believe, less than 1%, essentially at that time, a structured settlement was really a cash management product. Now, mm-hmm. it had some positive attributes even at, at that, uh, tax benefits, not running out of money, the, the definitive uh, payment stream that went out over the life of the structured settlement, but there really wasn't return in the product. Now there is return so that it works better for a property casualty company if they're, when they're, uh, when they're paying the premium to be able to take that off their books using essentially a discount rate by the value of the yield on the structured settlement. And then for uh, the individual, uh, you know, over the life of the structured settlement, they're going to get paid a multiple of what the initial cash amount would have been. So Mm -hmm. the interest rates really make all the difference. And uh, that I think is really key to being able to grow. Now, the reason I said before, is I think this has really no limits to growth is that if you looked at total tort settlements in the United States, it's really hard to come up with a number, but the number is gonna be something like 300 billion to 400 billion. And historically, if we've been saying, you know, 6% for the industry, so the industry historically ran at about 2% of what the total could be. And there are other, uh, there are other countries in England, for example, it's, um, it's legally required that any tort settlement with an individual is structured and it's paid out over a period of time.
0: Hmm.
1: So, you know, there are other jurisdictions where the number is 100% and here it's about 3% to my mind uh, that uh, you know that means that we have the ability to expand and how we do that and how we mobilize as an industry to continue to chop away at that 300 billion dollar block i think is uh, it's an important question but it's really exciting the fact that that is there and we do have you know that kind of growth potential compared with other businesses
0: yeah, Peter, when you say that, it and I can't believe I'm saying this, it makes me want to be more like England. And I know that's weird for an American to say, but that if only we had that opportunity here in the States to have everyone participate in a structured settlement, obviously life would be good. I digress. Interest rates are better. However, there is this ease of business proposition that's starting to brew. And I think We've seen a lot of headlines on AI over this last 12 months that could be a game changer for our industry. I'm wondering, do you have any thoughts about AI and how it could potentially affect the settlement industry as a whole?
1: Well, it, you know, it's very early stages on AI, but clearly uh, the applicability uh, is just working through the entire business community. But if you took FinTech as a whole, even over the past decade and the way it's affected insurance companies, in almost every case of a successful fintech company, what the goal is, is to disintermediate the broker, to have some form of technology that allows the individual to buy their car insurance direct or their home insurance direct. And life insurance, I think, is kind of the last to go. But if you you know watch and listen to the radio or watch any of the news programs, you can see that you know the people are trying to do that and they're trying to find ways to disintermediate I don't think that really is going to hit our business uh, hard right away, but it is, it's a trend. And that's something that you see across fintech and AI will probably accelerate that, uh, you know, the ability to go, you know, to use AI within a company's own software system. And it's something that we at Wrangler have been looking at over the past year, but, you know, that probably might be something that gets executed end of 2024 or later. But AI as a component is uh, really important. I don't think we're going to see any kind of disintermediation like what you've seen in property casualty companies. But what it does mean is that for a company like Ringler to remain successful, and for our brokers and consultants to remain relevant, we need to capture technology that puts them uh, ahead of the curve. Hmm. Whether that is, you know, AI as a way of uh, speeding up quoting or getting very specific specific information into the hands of the underwriters, or um, there's a myriad of things that we could really do with that in terms of model office and other activities. And I think that is uh, a really high value added that Ringler can uh, provide its brokers and consultants as we continue to look at those technology options.
0: Yeah, as I as you talk about it, I just keep thinking of the old adage: "Information is power," right? And if right. and and there's this there's this idea of you know cl- claims organizations are looking at ways to get as much information as possible in order to set proper reserves, uh, you know, offer a rel- a, a realistic uh, amount to indemnify the individual, you know, using structured data versus unstructured data. I mean, this is all going to be happening, I, I think, rather quickly. To enhance the available information that all parties are involved, so uh, a comprehensive and I think fair settlement offer can be made, uh, which at the end of the day I think bodes well for the industry as a whole. Because if we become potentially less litigious with either a bad feeling from a bad offer up front, you know we could see some more compromise uh, in these in these losses to where we can get to a settlement quicker.
1: I think that's right, and I, but I think ultimately, uh, you know when you speak about negotiations, there's always that personal component involved. Yes, and I think we're a long ways from AI being able to hold the negotiation and to end up with the yes on both sides that really is the you know the kind of win-win situation that we look to in a structured settlement. But you know I think where it could make a real difference is uh, in the parties getting all the best available information. Yes. You know, having the data, knowing what the best possible options are, getting those things done very quickly and having, uh, you know, the information and the data set essentially as a given and then uh, finding the best possible solution coming out of that. And with that, I think AI can make a real difference. One of um kind of problems for the structured settlement business uh, coming out of COVID was that for a lot of the property casualty companies, they lost a lot of uh claims professionals, Mm. you know, moved on to other, uh, other jobs or, you know, the great resignation, what, you know, whatever you might like to call it. It's a different group of people at a lot of those property casualty companies than would have been the case in 2019. And we're missing really two things. One is the personal interaction that a lot of those people in 2019 would have had with a Wrangler professional. And the second is that because a lot of them have come in and now they're taking much more of a pure quantitative assessment that then gives rise to a cash settlement, we're missing that kind of knowledge of all the benefits of structured settlements within the property casualty business. But you know, I think it's fair to say in the year ahead, that is, that's an opportunity for all of us to, to, con- to continue
0: to advance that knowledge base. Absolutely. It's, it's the never-ending education seminar. <laughs> uh, right uh, of the uh, the revolving door that happens just in any organization, right? Talent goes out, talent comes in, uh, and so there's always going to be an educational component to our role as a settlement consultant to ensure that you know parties understand the options that they have to complete this settlement. As uh, you know, w- when when the claim comes across their desk. All right, so we we have covered so much in such a short period of time, but Peter, I'm going to give you the last word. And we're going to end our time together with a crystal ball. Uh, what do you see happening in 2024 in the settlement industry? And is there anything that our general audience needs to be aware of uh, for next year?
1: I think next year is going to be, with regard to interest rates and the market opportunity, kind of steady, steady state from where we are now. You know, we had massive growth in 2023. My expectation is that that kind of flattens out going into the next year. I think this is a, a fantastic business, and it you know, it really fulfills a role in the world of helping injured parties. Uh, you know, for ringler, we're doing well by doing good, and I think that makes it uh, you know just a wonderful thing to be involved in. How things change, I think are going to be a little bit more subtle, but if we have the same kind of conversation next year, I think we're going to see more of a technological component in the way that our uh, consultants and brokers go about conducting their business. And I do think we're going to start to see AI start to edge into that as a way of providing our brokers and consultants with more information. The other thing that uh, we're going to see in the industry as a whole is that um, we're, we're at the, you know, the high end of the age curve in terms of our producers And we're going to start to see younger people coming in and that will also bring in new ways of doing business and possibly a new client base. So, you know, my view of it is that we're going to be seeing some really positive incremental changes in terms of, you know, new professionals, growth in the professional base, new aspects of technology that will leverage the broker and make us better at our jobs and some of those things will be incremental and should provide a steady pattern of growth going forward. And I think most importantly, if uh, you, know, you look ahead to uh, you know, the economy over the next, I don't know, two to five years, I think we're likely to have a decent enough investment, investment environment so that we, we don't end up with the really low returns that were such a problem for us during COVID. Excellent.
0: Excellent. Well, everyone, you heard it here first. Peter Jacob, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Before we go, if you're a fan of Ring the Radio, be sure to like and subscribe to the show on all major podcast platforms and follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook. We'd also like to thank our Ring the Radio sponsors, American General Life Company, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, Prudential, and USAA. For more information about how a structured settlement brings value to you or your organization, contact your local Ringler consultant by locating them at www.ringlerassociates.com. A very happy holidays and new year to all of our listeners. We will be back in 2024. Until then, be well. Ringler Radio is a production of Ringler Associates. All of the opinions expressed by the participants of this podcast are their own and do not represent any legal, tax, or financial advice from Ringler Associates. For more information about how to work with Ringler, visit www.ringlerassociates.com.